So before we, uh, before we get into uh, Romans 15 and talk about <clears throat> abounding in hope this morning, I did want to say uh, a few things. Um, first of all, I just wanted to, to thank you again as we wrap up this series. I want to thank you again for being on this journey uh, with us as teachers. Um, we, took, we made the decision to look at biblical manhood and, and depart a little bit from our uh, tradition here at Amen of just going through books of the Bible uh, and instead going through the Bible more systematically around the issues of what does it mean to be God's men and still looking at specific passages. And it really has been a deep encouragement to me personally. And I want to thank you for that. I want to thank you uh, men who've been in here for a long time, you older men, your faithfulness, your faithfulness has been a great blessing and work of sancti- uh, uh, encouragement of sanctification in my own life. And then I want to say this semester to those of you younger men who are here, um, you have been an extreme encouragement, not only to those of us who teach in here, but to the other men who've been in here for years. Um, because it has been our prayer, because we believe it's the very best thing for all men in our church and all men in this city, regardless of age, that we would be together studying God's word verse by verse and looking at these things. And your presence here has been an answer to prayers, uh, our prayers and has been a huge encouragement for us. And in thinking about what we want to do next semester, we start in the fall, and praying through that, uh, Bart and I, uh, talking through it, praying through it, the thought kept coming to our heads of this idea of going, of going deeper. And just thinking about that because the context, the, the, the culture that you all have developed here has always been one of, we're going to go deep into God's Word. And as I was thinking about that and praying about that, I said to Bart and I said, what, what, what parts of our Bible do we not usually go to? And, and I went and looked at the history of Amen and every place we've studied. I made, I made sure to check with the, the history of the preaching on Sunday morning and Sunday night at our church recently. So kind of looked at the last 10 or 20 years. And I realized that we have not gone, as, uh, as men and Amen, we have not gone through a deep study, verse by verse, of First and Second Thessalonians, which is surprising to me. Uh, one, because it's in the New Testament. Usually you think, oh, we're going to study the minor prophets or something, but we're already doing that on Sunday morning here. And uh, so couldn't believe that we haven't done that yet. There are such rich things in there for us as men living in this time and in this culture. That's what we're going to be studying uh, this, uh, this fall, is going through uh, September through December First uh, and Second Thessalonians, and I'm excited about that. You'll hear more about that uh, as we get uh, closer to the start of the fall. But today and next week, we're going to be wrapping up our series on biblical manhood. And the reason that the last three uh, lessons were Barton last week talking about trust, today talking about hope, next week talking about love, is because you remember that those three things, usually described as faith, hope, and love, but the faith that's described is a faith that's trusting in God. So faith, hope, and love was that triad that was spoken about in the church constantly, the, the early church. And you remember in 1 Corinthians 13, when Paul's making this, this appeal for us to understand the supremacy of love over every spiritual gift, over everything else, at the very end, he says, but these three, three things remain, faith, hope and love. And why does he say that? What does he say these things remain? Well, there's a certain sense in which in all of our lives, the three, the only things that are actually going to be eternal that we experience in the Lord has to do with trusting in him, hoping in him, 
and love in him. Uh, but that is also the very core of the Christian life, is faith, hope, and love. Very, the very foundation, or the very center of what it means to walk as a man of God with Christ. And I thought that would be a great way for us to end that, and for today, for us to look at hope. And I can tell you this with great confidence, that you and I, as followers of Christ, are supposed to be men of hope. And the reason I know this, the reason I know this is supposed to be foundational to who we are, is because in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, Peter writes this, Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks for the reason for the hope that is within you. <laughs> Peter assumes that you and I as Christians are going to be asked, what's the deal? Why do you have so much hope? Why are you so hopeful? Why is that a mark of your life as a Christian? And Peter says, listen, you just need to be ready because they're going to ask. They're going to ask. You need to be ready to give them the reason for the hope that's within you. That is both an encouragement and a conviction to us, isn't it? Because some of us, myself included, maybe haven't been asked in a while, hey, why are you so hopeful? Why are you like that? Um, what's going on with that? But that's to be the mark of who we are as, as followers of Christ. Now, you have on your notes there a word about worldly hope and biblical hope. And I want to say this before I read this passage. Worldly hope, and I, I imagine many of you would, would, would know this, would think this. Worldly hope is a desire for something good to happen in the future. And there's a difference between worldly hope and biblical hope. When, when God's Word is speaking about hope, and we're talking about hope this morning, we're not talking about worldly hope. We're not talking, and I would say this, worldly hope, with that desire for something good to happen in the future, at best, when it's at its very best, is optimism. You know, somebody who's just optimistic, who thinks, man, it's going to work out, don't worry, it's going to be good, and they're optimistic. And it's fun to be around optimistic people. I enjoy optimistic people. I don't know about you, but the people that, I, that, I, that I've worked with at different times, and you know, I'm planning a conference or, you know, being on a, a committee for this or that. And, you know, every once in a while you've got that, that man or that woman who, who tell you because they've been pointing out what's wrong all the time. They're, yeah, God has really gifted me at just kind of pointing out, you know, the problems. And I'm like, well, that, I'm not sure that's a gift. I think it's just irritating. <laughs> I know what the problems are, too. I'm looking for solutions. Seeing the problems is not a, hard, is not a, is not a gift. It's not, it's not that hard to do. Finding solutions so that, that person who's optimistic, who's saying, hey, it's going to work out, it's great. But when God's word talks about hope, it's not just talking about an optimistic attitude. At its worst, worldly hope is based on something that is always iffy. And we're all caught in it sometimes, aren't we? Sometimes you're basing your hope on your bank account. Basing your hope on this next opportunity for a job or, or the, you know, listen, if I can get enough money, I can feel hopeful. If the economy would just do this, if this, if this investment would just do this, if, if, uh, if, my, if my boss would just give me a raise, you know, or hope, and we're banking our, our sense of security on that, or you're banking your sense of security, you're hopeful about what you want to see happen in your family in the future. And I've, I've confessed to you multiple times, um, hopefully my son's listening to this, I would love, I'm hopeful to have grandchildren, right? So sometimes you're hoping for that. You're hoping something will happen with your kids. You're hoping something will happen with your grandchildren. You're hoping something happen in your marriage. Or you're hoping, 
Your hope is based on a reputation. I'm hopeful that my reputation will get me this. And of course, some of us in here have lived long enough to realize that those hopes are just wishes. That it's just, it's uncertain. We're hoping something happens in the future, but there's no certainty to it. On the other hand, biblical hope, when God's word speaks about hope, you see there that it's a confident expectation of a reality not yet fully experienced. Those two definitions come from both uh, John Piper and Alistair Begg, and I love the way those are said. A confident expectation. I'm I'm not optimistic just, I'm not just an attitude of, of confidence. No, I, I have confidence that this thing is going, because it's a reality, I just haven't fully experienced yet. I am sort of experiencing, as a believer, I am experiencing some of what God has promised, the God of hope. But there is still more yet to be fully experienced. And I am confident this is going to happen. I know it's going to happen. Brothers, I, I, I don't need to say this. I'm sure everybody would go, amen. Things are really messed up these days. Um, read an article, maybe you read it in the Atlantic a couple weeks ago, that basically just, just talks about the sheer stupidity of our thinking in this country over the last 10 years. That, that we've just, it seems like we've lost our minds. We're not even making logical sense. Our, our arguments are not reasonable and not only that, they're not consistently applied. <laughs> and it's just like we've lost our minds. And certainly what's occurred, I, I mean, whoever, I mean, it, it's, it's almost more astounding <laughs> that, something, that somebody on the staff of the Supreme Court leaked something. It's almost more astounding that that happened than what the actual draft said. It's hard to know which was more shocking. I mean, that's how crazy things, it's, it's, and, and then, the, and then the, the backlash is like, doesn't even, doesn't even address in many ways that issue. It's, it's like, what? We, we've lost our minds. And in that, there is a sense of hopelessness. I mean, whether you're a believer or not a believer, there's just this feeling of like, oh, what have I, what have I had to have to hope in? And yet, brothers, we are called to be men of hope. It's so to mark our lives that people are supposed to ask us, hey, why are you so hopeful? What's that about? So with that thought in mind, let's read Romans chapter 15, verses 8 through 13. Many places we could have turned to in Scripture. It's interesting to note that the book of Romans speaks of hope, uses the word hope more than any other book in your Bibles. Very fascinating. Here Paul writes this at the very end of uh, this great epistle. Verse 8, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with His people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, and even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound 
in hope. Just to be clear, I imagine there might be some of you of, uh, of Jewish descent in here, um, but the most of us uh, in here, I imagine, are Gentiles. So when we speak about this, this is about, this is about us, how the gospel has come to us. I want us to see four things here this morning. And uh, because I know you're, you're used to this and you can handle it, we are going to definitely do some Bible work. You're going to be turning to different places in your Bible today. we got to do it because it's just so rich. And I want us to have a feast of hope this morning. First of all, the source of our hope. The source of our hope, brothers, is the character of God. You see that in verse 8 of chapter 15 speaks about Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness. And then in verse 13, it says the God of hope. It's at his very character. It's, uh, it's, it's out of who he is that we get this confident expectation of a reality that we've not yet fully experienced. So where do I want to, we're not going to turn to all three of those places I've given you there on your notes, but we are going to turn to Lamentations chapter 3. Lamentations chapter 3. So please turn there with me. You're not going to want to miss this. So right after Jeremiah, get to Isaiah, Jeremiah, and then right after Lamentations before you get to Ezekiel. So right there in those big books in the Old Testament, uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, right in between them is these few pages of the book of Lamentations. And we'll turn to a chapter that I know we're familiar with because of one particular verse, uh, and that is chapter 3 of Lamentations. The beginning of chapter 3 of Lamentations, uh, Jeremiah is recounting the, uh, just the sadness, the, the, the discipline that they're going through as God's people, and the feeling that they have there of, of, of hopelessness in the sense that Wow, we are weighed down with all these struggles, with all this suffering. Verse 19 of chapter 3 says, Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. And then look at verse 22. But this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in his silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust that, he, that there he yet may be excuse me, that there may yet be hope. Give him his cheek to the one who strikes and let him be filled with insults for the Lord will not cast off forever. But, through, but though he causes grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love for he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. Four things I want us to see quickly in there. I want you to notice in verses 22 and 23 you see God's steadfast love. Every time in our ESV Bibles that it says steadfast love, that's the Hebrew word hesed. That's covenant love. Every, I love the fact that the ESV translated hesed every time as steadfast love. That's covenant love. That's God's covenant. That's his promises. That's, that's who he is. That's his character. 
He says that God's steadfast love is there. He talks there about God's mercy. He is a merciful God. God says, I am a God of mercy. He is a faithful God. You can always count on him. Speaks of God's faithfulness there. They are new every morning, verse 23. Great is your faithfulness. And then verse 25, the Lord is good. It's his goodness. This is who he is. This is his character. And then I'm fascinated by verses 31 through 33. Because there it speaks about the discipline of God. That he's allowing this discipline in our life. But notice that it says in verse 32, But though he caused grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his hesed, of his steadfast love. And then verse 33 For he does not afflict from his heart. I never knew what that really meant until recently a book by Dane Ortland called Gentle and Lowly. I commend it to you. It's phenomenal. And in there he speaks about the fact, he's speaking about the heart of God, the very heart of God. And what is he saying here in verse 33? It's saying that the heart of God, the inclination of God, the default of God is is to bless us, not to curse us. It's, it's to not, it's, it's, it's his strange, it's, it, theologians speak of this, it's his strange work to allow suffering in his, our lives. It's his strange work to bring about the discipline. It is his natural work to be compassionate, to have mercy. He does not afflict from his, he's not, he's not, it's not his heart to want to do that. In the same way that a good father, it's not your heart to want to uh, discipline your son. It's painful to watch that, though you know it's a good thing. But it's not, it's not, it's not what comes from who you are. It's, it's out of that you know, you know this is best for him. That is God's character. And so the hope that we have within us The source of that is the very character of God himself. And back to Romans chapter 15. There in verse 13, that final verse that we read. It says, may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace in believing. Believing what? (laughs) How do I got I want that joy and peace. I want to be filled with that joy and peace. But I got to be believing. Believing in what? Believing in the covenant love of God. Believing in his hesed. That's what Paul has been speaking about all the way up to chapter 15. Everything in Romans has been speaking about how his covenant love has been displayed through the salvation of Jesus Christ. Now fully secured because of the character of God. And so joy and peace come in believing that God is the God of hope. And that these things, his covenant love is secured in his very character. Source of our hope. Secondly, the foundation of our hope. The foundation of our hope is God's promises. There in in verse uh, 8, it says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, that is to the Jews, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given. And then he goes on to list some of the promises. He goes and says, okay, I'm going to quote from you from 2 Samuel, verse 20, uh, excuse me, 2 Samuel 22, Psalm 18. And there he gives in verse 9 one of the promises that I will praise you among the Gentiles. The Gentiles are going to respond. And again, there in verse 10, 
quoting from Deuteronomy 32, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. God is saying, listen, long time ago, I'm going to bring salvation to the whole world. And you're going to see it. There in verse 11, he's citing from uh, Psalm 117. And then verse 12, he's, he's uh, citing from uh, Isaiah 11. The root of Jesse will come. Christ will come. And in him will the Gentiles hope. So all these promises become for us the foundation of our hope. It's in knowing these things. Look back um, at verse 4 of chapter 15. See what Paul writes there in regard to hope. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. That actually could be a great, uh, that could be a great uh, uh, verse, foundational verse for amen. That's what we're doing. For whatever was written in former days, our scriptures, was written for our instruction, for all of us, that through endurance, through walking as men of God, and encouragement in the scriptures, what we're doing this morning, what we do with each other, we might have hope. The promises of God as we study them become the foundation of our hope. Now, turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 6. I told you we're going to turn. It's going to be like a sword drill. If you grew up Baptist, you're going to love this morning. It's going to be awesome. See who gets there fastest. I should have had prizes to hand out this morning. Genesis chapter 6. How many of you, how many of you did the sword drill when you, were, uh, when you were young, Sunday school? Yeah, there you go. Some of you, uh, some of you younger guys are like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Um, did in Sunday school the sword drill, the this is, the, this is the, the sword. The word of God is the sword, right? And the sword drill when we were little, our Sunday school teachers would be like, find this verse, you know, and we're flying all over the verse. And of course, the, the funny Sunday school teacher that would try to trick you is like, okay, turn to Hezekiah 3.1. You know, and you're like, you're flying through your Bibles to try to find Hezekiah. There is no Hezekiah. Um, and uh, you eventually learn that. The, the veterans, the veterans knew and just chuckled at that. So, Hebrews, hopefully I gave you enough time to find Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6, here, the writer of Hebrews in, chapter, in verse 13 is talking about the certainty of God's promise. And he's speaking about that moment in Genesis 22 when God asks Abraham to sacrifice Isaac and then is therefore making, uh, he's going to show uh, Abraham, listen, the salvation is going to come through a sacrifice, but it's not going to be your son. It's going to be my son. There's that great phrase where Isaac says to his dad, Dad, where is the lamb? And his dad says, God will provide it. And he does. It's a foreshadow. It's a promise of the future. So look at verse 13 of Hebrews 6. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and I will multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, he obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath for, is for final confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. Here you see the connection between the source of our hope is the character of God, and then the foundation is the promise that he makes. The unchange, his unchangeable purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, his character is unchangeable and his word is unchangeable. So those are the promises. Two unchangeable things 
in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this, this hope, as a sure and a steadfast, look at these words, anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, into the Holy Holies, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Hold fast to the hope. Sure and steadfast anchor to the soul. The promises of God. What is so important for us as men to be in God's word. And we need more men here. When Lon says, think of who needs to be here. You, anybody who's not here needs to be here. We need to be studying God's word. Why? Because we can't be men of hope if we don't have a foundation. And the foundation has got to be us knowing the promises of God. Knowing His Word and being encouraged in the Scriptures that it might be for us an anchor for our soul. You guys have heard me say this. At this point in my life, I just don't know how you go through life. I don't know how to do it without getting time in God's Word every day. It's It's not me being disciplined anymore. It's me being desperate. I just, I, 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 believe me, I get undisciplined. I miss a few days. And the reason I go back now is not because, ah, I better do it. It's more like, I, I'm falling apart. I, I can't, <laughs> I can't sort out the problems in front of me. I've lost, I, I've lost enough energy to be optimistic simply by, a, by personality. And I'm generally optimistic. I'm desperate. I'm desperate to hear again the promises of God. I'm desperate for an anchor for my soul, for, for me to be reminded that it's holding fast. And that's why I go. And that's why we're here. And that's why we want our brothers here and our friends here. We want them here so we can study God's word together, this foundation for our hope, uh, the anchor for our soul. Well then, thirdly, going back to Romans 15, the object of our hope. The object of our hope. The object of our hope is Jesus Christ Himself. Notice that it begins in verse 8, for I tell you that Christ (laughs) became a servant to the circumcised. I mean, everywhere in God's Word, certainly everything Paul is saying is, this is about Christ. And then notice that the promise that's given in verse 12 cited from Isaiah 11, is that in Him, in Christ, so the root of Jesse is Christ, in Him, in Him, will the Gentiles hope. He is the object of the hope. In Christ, will people like us hope. Now, these three passages I have before us, they're just too good, honestly, not to look at all three. So again, sword drill, go. 1 Corinthians 15. Who will win at your table to get to 1 Corinthians 15? Man, if we had electronic devices, I would have dominated the sword drill, right? Like, boom, I'm there. 1 Corinthians 15 is that great resurrection chapter. Um, just got, I, uh, Larry Jensen and I just got done teaching through about four or five weeks of teaching through this great chapter in uh, our Sunday school class. But uh, notice... Uh, We're going to begin looking at 
verse 14. And the whole argument here that Paul's making is, listen, the, the resurrection of Christ was not a spiritual resurrection. It wasn't just like a God resurrecting, you know, remembering Christ in my He's still alive in my mind. He's, no, <laughs> Paul's making the point. This is a physical bodily resurrection. This actually happened. There are witnesses to this. And this is foundational. Understanding the bodily resurrection of Christ is foundational to our faith. You can't have it that way. I'm going to tell you, there's, it, it started in the late 1800s and really got rolling in the early 1900s in, in uh, uh, German uh, uh, seminaries and, and, theologic, and theologians from German, Germany. This idea that there that there, it was enough to just believe in a spiritual resurrection as if, as if Christ is, has been raised in your hearts, that there wasn't actually a bodily resurrection. And of course, I don't know what they do with 1 Corinthians 15 because Paul makes the point. There are witnesses here. But in it, he talks about the object of our hope when he says, verse 14, chapter 15, and if in Christ, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testify about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise. If it is true, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep or those who have died in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are the people to be most pitied. He's saying, listen, if, you're, if your religion is about believing in Christ and having hope in Christ only in this life, and you have no expectation of what has been promised in the future, people should look at us, and I believe that, and go, wow, that is a sad bunch of men there on Thursday mornings. Like, basically, they're using Jesus as a crutch to get through the day. Right? Makes you feel good to believe that Jesus is going to help you today. And they're just, man, what, what, a, what a bunch of goofballs to be there. That's just sad. That's what he's saying. If you're, if you're only hoping in Christ to just make your day better, we should be pitied more than any. But verse 20, but if, but if in fact Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, for as by man death came, and by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. That's, we're hoping in that. In Christ all be made alive. He is the object of our hope. It gets even better. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Go. See who wins at your table. <laughs> you guys can keep score. Ephesians chapter 1. Some of you are taking this seriously. I love it. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. I'm going to read through verse 14. And I want you to notice how many times Paul says, in Christ. Notice. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him, that's Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for the adoption, for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, 
to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved, that's Christ, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and on earth. Verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is a guarantee of our salvation until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. It's astounding. What's Paul's point? It is everything is in Christ. He is the object of your hope. It speaks there, the, 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 the theological um, issue here, statement here is about the mystical union with Christ. Our mystical union with Christ. You have been united with Christ. We say mystical union because we know it's true because God's word tells us that, but we don't understand everything about it yet. We don't fully understand. We don't fully see it, but it's a reality that we experience now, not just in heaven, that your life has been hidden in Christ, that you have been connected to him. See again now, turn over in to 1 Peter chapter 3 and see Peter talk about this. This will be a little tougher. Go, 1 Peter. See if you can get there. Again, keep score at your table. The loser has to buy the winner lunch. How about that? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. I'm going to read through verse... I'm going to read through verse 8, actually. <clears throat> Isn't it how Peter describes it? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope. Caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by the word of God's, by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When he's revealed, we're like, that's it. That's my hope. Verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible, filled with glory. So even though we don't see him, we love him. So there's a, there's a sense in which that confident expectation is a reality which we are experiencing now, yet we're not yet fully experiencing it. And that's what's being described here. And that experience is what? What is it that we're, we're looking for? We're experiencing being united with Christ. We're experiencing his presence with us. That he is with you. 
He never leaves you. And though we experience that and have, and, and it's a reality, we taste it in moments, but there's going to be a time, brothers, when, it's, when we're going to see him face to face. And that is, a, that is a reality that we will fully experience and you can be confident in that expectation. And then you index your lives by that. That becomes the basis by which you look at everything. Every problem you face, every struggle. And, and I, talk, I talked about this in my Sunday school class when we talked about the resurrection. And this idea of indexing our lives to the resurrection, instead of indexing our lives, indexing simply means this, that you have this what, is the, this, what is the basis, what is the benchmark for how you look at something? And usually what happens is we're, using, we're indexing our lives to our problems. We're indexing our lives to our earthly hopes. We're indexing our lives to our struggles. We're indexing our lives to all these other things. And God's word tells us we need to index our lives to the resurrection and the, uh, the resurrection and the, the return of Christ. When that becomes the thing that, that we index our lives to, the grid through which we look at everything, that's when we begin to experience that, that joy. That's why he can say in verse 8 of 1 Peter chapter 3, that we believe Him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible, filled with glory. How in the world can that happen in the midst of trials? He just spoke about trials. It's because we begin to look at our lives and everything that happens to us and our relationships, all of that through the grid work of our hope being Jesus Christ. And brothers, it's not just a hope in what Christ gives us. It's not just a hope in what Christ gives us. But it's a hope in living in him. That's why it says verse there in 1 Peter 3, a living hope in living in Christ and being with him. That's our hope. Not just that what, just not what Christ gives us. He does bless us. But it's, the hope is that we are living in him and we will see him. We will be with him. That's why Paul writes in Philippians chapter 1 that... Uh, uh, I have been crucified with Christ, and I know that like that's Galatians 2.20. He all writes there, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In Philippians 1, he's like, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I don't know which one to choose. But notice that both things are about Christ. For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. What do I gain? I, gained, I, get, I gain him. I'm with him. He is the object of our hope because living in him and being with him is our greatest joy. And then finally, brothers, the guarantee of our hope, the guarantee of our hope, the guarantee of our hope is the Holy Spirit. It says there in verse 13 of Romans 8, that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. <sighs> Isn't it great to know, just a second here, pause. Isn't it great to know that abounding in hope is not something you and I have to drum up? <laughs> that it's something the Holy Spirit's working in us. It's not to walk out of here and go, ah, i got to be more hopeful. No, no, no. Here's the good news. The Holy Spirit is doing it. The Holy Spirit is working in your life and my life to help us abound in hope, to seal these things. And seal is a great word because if you look in Ephesians chapter 1, the very end of all those things that we read about being in Christ, in Him, all this, it says in verse 14, Excuse me, verse 13, let's say this. In Christ, this is Ephesians 1, 13. In Christ you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, what happened? You were sealed 
with the promise, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit came to dwell inside you. And that sealed salvation to you. You didn't, you're not sealing your salvation. You're not making your salvation sure. The Holy Spirit coming to dwell in you is making your salvation sure. Sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance? What is our inheritance? Christ. Christ is our inheritance. What is the guarantee of our, our inheritance in Christ? It's the promised Holy Spirit working in us. The Holy Spirit in us becomes the guarantee that you are going to be with Jesus. And so it's through the power of the Holy Spirit in us that more and more we are abounding in hope because more and more we are, un- we are experiencing the joy and peace that comes from resting our lives in the promises of God. I want to thank you guys for what you gave me this week, this gift, this gift of, of, of being your teacher. Because all week long, I've been able to feast on God's word personally. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, <laughs> I, tell, I told my wife this morning, I was walking out, she says, how are you feeling? And I said, honestly, I mean this with all sincerity. I'm abounding in hope. And I think she thought I was thinking because I you know, had a great lesson. I said, no, I just have, I've gotten to spend so much time in all these places reminding myself of the hope that I have, the guarantee, the anchor of my soul. And I said, and I get to go share it with my brothers this morning. And it's going to be a feast. It's going to be a feast for us. And I thought to myself as I drove here, I'm not hoping. This is so great. This is so great. I am not hoping in a certain Supreme Court decision. Now, you ask me what I think should happen, I'll tell you. <laughs> I have an opinion. I feel I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm firmly pro-life. Don't be mistaken by that. But my hope is not in a Supreme Court decision, that one or any other one. My hope is not an election. And I vote. <laughs> I voted last week. I vote. I think it's important. But my hope is not an election. My hope is not in the economy turning around. But I would like the economy to turn around. <laughs> but that's not my hope. My hope is not in the amazing advancements we've made in healthcare that help us tackle a pandemic and make me think we might be able to weather the next one too. I'm thankful. I'm thankful. I'm, I don't know how many, what do you say, double boosted? or No, I'm not double boosted, but I'm vaccinated, boosted. I'll wear a mask if you want me to. I won't if you don't. Whatever. I'm thankful. But that's not my hope. My hope is not in the health care. I would say this. My hope's not even in revival. But I've been praying for revival every day since January 1. My prayer every day, Lord, I pray that you would revive us again, that we may rejoice in you. And I pray for revival. My hope is not in revival. No, brothers, my hope, my hope is in the God of hope, revealed in Christ, and the sealed Holy Spirit, guaranteeing, guaranteeing that no matter what happens, none of that stuff happens that I would like to happen. It won't matter. It won't shake my hope. And the power of the Holy Spirit, he's going to work in such a way that I can abound in hope. So as we close this morning, I want to, I want to do what Paul does here. 
Verse 13, verse 13 is, is a prayer, really. It's a prayer for the, the Roman Christians. I'm going to pray that for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we would ask that the God of hope would fill us with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we, your sons, may abound in hope. We ask this in the powerful name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you, brothers.